Well, my name is Trevor Owen. I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here at Hillspring. Um, and I get the honor of preaching about something that made me really uncomfortable to study. Um, I love those kind of messages. And I, I think it was, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, got a sign from Jesus this morning. Usually I get up in the morning and I write my notes on my, my sermon and I print it out in little things. And I take it into the bathroom and I set it on the counter and I read it over while I'm getting ready. And then I get in the shower and I kind of, you know, it's time to space to think about it and meditate. And I get out and I'm drying off and I spin around and my towel flips out and promptly knocks my sermon into the toilet. <laughs> so... I'm going to assume that wasn't a sign from Jesus, but if it really strikes you bad, that's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the Beatitudes, uh, we're calling it the Be Happy Attitudes. Um, and what it is, is this where Jesus, it's the start of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it will be like to be his followers, who they will be. Uh, it, it's not a behavior list. It's not a do this and get this kind of a thing. It's a, if you follow me, if you line your life up with me, this is what it will look like. And this is ultimately how that will play out, what will happen, what, what God will bring about through that. So, it's, you know, it's, we're going to talk, like I said, about a, a topic that kind of really pushed me and stretched me personally. You know, be thinking about, you know, if your life doesn't reflect this, it's an area where maybe you haven't surrendered that entirely to Jesus yet. I once had a professor in seminary tell me, only preach on things that you are, you know, a master of or that you really know what you're talking about. And I got to say, I would preach on very little, <laughs> first of all. But also, there's a tremendous amount of grace in God. And so what we're going to talk about today is something that doesn't initially sound really difficult. And it, it comes out of Matthew 5, 9. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Um, incidentally... There's limits to language. This is not like literally you have to be a man or, <laughs> or God will change your gender. This is the generic like, hey, y'all, come here, guys, kind of a thing. It's not, so children of God could be translated in there as well. But blessed are the peacemakers. So if I say to you, what comes to mind when I say, you know, being a peacemaker? What does that entail? Like if I say, you know, go, go make peace in the world, what, what, what do you think of? What? Diffuse anger, yes. Resolving problems, yeah. Getting people to talk to each other, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and we, we think about it in terms of uh, resolving conflict and making, you know, Making aggression and anger die down. Um, one of the people in my small group mentioned to me that also uh, Peacemaker was this. <laughs> that supposedly was carried by Wyatt Earp at the OK Corral. It was actually carried by Kurt Russell in the movie, but close enough. <laughs> Did some research, no evidence. Wyatt Earp actually carried a Peacemaker. But it was the gun that tamed the West, 
right? It was the gun that in the OK Corral shot down the bad guys and brought peace to the West. Do you think that's what Jesus was meaning when he said, be peacemakers? I mean, I have a hard time picturing Jesus with dual colts hanging low. No, what he was talking about was a much broader sense of peace. And it comes from the the Hebrew word shalom, or the Greek word erene, which is peace in the sense of fullness, wholeness, fulfillment, everything as it's supposed to be, right? You get, this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible. You get images of this all the time, right? The end of the days, the lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more crying. There will be peace. And it's far more than just, I'm not actively shooting at somebody, or I'm stopping my argument, or I'm, you know, calming people down who are angry, though those all are part of that. But it's the idea of the fullness of who and that situation or you as a person or that country, that nation is. I mean, I, I honestly don't even think we can picture this. If I said, picture America at RNA, at Shalom, peace. Can you even comprehend that? No power struggles, no tears, no selfishness, pure motives in everything we do, treating each other entirely with love. Can we even comprehend what that would look like? I mean, of course, the Green Party would rule everything, but I just picked one at random, fill in the blank. But what would peace look like? But maybe we need a little smaller. What would peace look like in our church? If there wasn't any insecurity, there wasn't any fear. If you met somebody in the foyer and didn't know if you remembered their name and were really awkward on, hi, do I know you? Yes, I think I vaguely recognize you. Remember me of your name and... Why don't they remember my name? I get this all the time. If there was no, like, guilt or shame or fear or what if I run into that person or that situation comes up or they, they ignored me or they hurt my feelings or I didn't like what they said, what would shalom look like? What would Aranae look like for our church? But maybe we take it even a little smaller. What would it look like in your home? Your kids, fully who they are meant to be, guided with total patience and intentional, you know, direction. No, you know, tension between your spouse and you. Nothing you need to hide, no shame, no doubt, no secrets even with crazy Uncle Harry. Peace. Or maybe what would that look like even inside of yourself with you? What would it look like 
if you were at peace. You see, I think this idea, this concept of peace is so much bigger than not simply fighting. And in that sense, there's this tendency to, well, use our power to try and make things controlled and calm, and we call it peace, right? Like we use the Colt pistol and the handguns and the Wild West and the army, and we quell the riots and the difficulties, and we shoot the bad guys, or we lock them up, and we put down the Indian rebellions, and we call it, oh, we've tamed the Wild West, there's peace now. Is that peace? Certainly not for the Native Americans. You see, the powerful always try and get control so that things are their way, and then we say it's at peace. And we do that as nations. We do that as people groups. We do that as races. We do that as parents. We do that as influential people in churches. None of you guys, of course. We do that at work. We do that as bosses. We get our way. We force things to be what they are. And then we say, okay, everything's at peace now. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. And I'll tell you this, the Jewish people of his day got that. When Jesus says, I want you to be my peacemakers, they hated it. There's a reason this guy gets killed. (laughs) Because this was ridiculous. Let's go back and think for a second about Israel in Jesus' day. It was occupied by the Romans. The Romans were the most powerful nation, arguably in history. And they had instituted the Pax Romana, which was the peace of Rome. The whole world was at peace because Rome had lots of soldiers and would kill you if you weren't at peace. And they occupied Israel. And they'd been there off and on for about a century. Well, there'd been uprisings and stuff. So with the uprisings, there was, there was a population of, and it depends on estimates and who you read and it's, they're inflated numbers and stuff, but somewhere between 80,000 and 600,000 people that lived in Jerusalem during the last oh, 70, about a century before Rome retook over. So Rome had been there for a little over a century. There was, you know, like I said, somewhere between 100 and 600,000 people that lived in Jerusalem. There's estimates that in that century... Rome had crucified somewhere around 100 to 120,000 Jewish people. So even if you multiply, say the high number, say you multiply 600,000 by, give it three generations, which would be stretching it, you're looking at 1.8 million people over those 100 years. 120,000 of them had been crucified. 8% of the population had been tortured to death publicly in the open. What would it look like if 8% of the people in here were just hung out on crosses 
and slowly suffocated. How would you feel about those people who did that? Not good. So you got the Roman occupiers there, and then you have all these Jewish people that are the ones that are paying taxes to afford these people. And there's, and there's different Jewish sects that are, that are um, trying to figure out how best to deal with this Roman occupation. So you have the Sadducees that sort of align themselves with the power. And they, you know, they said, well, we're Jewish and we're separate and we, you know, still not break all the Jewish laws. But we're going to kind of align ourselves and, and be buddy-buddy with them and politically have influence. And then you have the Pharisees that were like, no, absolutely not. They, they're dirty. They're disgusting. I can't handle them. How dare you Sadducees even hang out with them? Like, and they separate themselves and they're all about the rules and the rituals and being faithful and to God. And then you have groups like the Essenes or the Zealots that are like, we need to just do everything in our power to overthrow these Roman dogs and kick them out. And they have rebellions and and these groups hate each other. Sadducees and the Pharisees are disgusted with each other. The Essenes think even the Pharisees aren't zealous enough. Like, why aren't you going to war and kicking these Romans out? Why don't... Can you see the tension? And in the midst of this, Jesus says, be peacemakers. Like, not just actively stop the conflict, but work for the wholeness, the healing, and the best for those around you. It's crazy. Nobody wants the best for the Romans. Nobody wants the best for the compromised people that are, have betrayed their morals and turned on their countrymen. Nobody wants the best for the crazy religious zealots that live in the wilderness and come raiding in and steal stuff. Blessed are the peacemakers. Can you see the tension here? Now that's back then. What about since then? You know, you look back through history. Like I mentioned, the, the powerful have a way of getting their will done in order to say that things are at peace. I remember when I was about, I don't know, probably six. I don't know exactly. We lived up in Portland. My mom raised rose bushes, and she had these, I mean, they were huge rose bushes, right, with these big, thick stems and the thorns and all that. And I was in the backyard with my sister, who was a year and a half younger than me, and I don't remember why, but somehow she was being annoying and deserved to be pushed around. And somehow in the midst of this fight over whatever we were fighting at, I decided to end it. And I pushed my sister into one of the rose bushes. It ended the fight. My mom was not particularly thrilled. But even then, she was like, well, you guys are fighting. Stop it. <laughs> I stopped the conflict. I used my power and my ability, the things around me. Did I bring peace? You see, and sometimes I think in our world, we, we get that mixed up. 
I mean, look at history, right? Christianity. Do we bring peace with the Crusades? Bring shalom, wholeness, healing, fullness, love? Or stop conflict? How about all the religious wars? How about taming the Wild West, slaughtering the Native Americans? How about our civil war? Do we bring peace? Let's go a little more modern. How about the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, drone strikes? Do we bring peace? How about militarizing the police force? Or conversely, rioting and burning our cities and villainizing them? Do we bring peace? How about incarcerating millions of inner city people? Did that bring peace? How about bullying anybody who isn't woke enough or has pushback on the Me Too movement? Does that bring peace? Now, I'm not saying that any one of those individual things shouldn't happen. There are times in our world where, because it is so broken, non-peaceful things have to happen. But using violence and control and power to calm things down and bring order is not the same thing as peace. Peace only comes from love. Now, it's hard to convince somebody of that in horrible, violent situations, right? If somebody breaks into my house and wants to kill me because I just said something offensive, I want the police to show up and bring order. But that's not the same thing as bringing the peace that Jesus is talking about. You see, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he means far, far more than things being safe and comfortable and like you like them, like we like them. But, but if that's the case, doesn't that mean that that maybe sometimes evil will go unchecked. As Christians, if we really seek peace, if we seek the wholeness of people, if we don't respond with control, if we, if we don't make sure that things are like they're supposed to be, if we don't shout down on Facebook that person who's spouting nonsense, doesn't that mean evil flourishes? You know, Jesus says... A little farther down in a couple of verses, Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus actually says, you know, turn the other cheek. Pray for those who oppose you. Love those. Seek peace. Even if maybe that means you get hurt by it. It's what his children do. Which is crazy hard. Because I've been thinking about this in my own life. How often it is that I don't seek peace and instead I choose to defend myself or fight for my rights or try and make things like I think they should be. I mean, if you ask my wife, does Trevor ever do that? She would be very nice and say, well, maybe once in a while. Probably not. She would say, oh, yeah, heck yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of times I don't seek peace in my relationship with her. There's a lot of times I don't even seek peace among my coworkers. I'm worried about me and how I feel and whether I feel validated or important. It's not about them. There's a lot of times where I don't seek peace in conversations about mask mandates and vaccines and whatever. There's a lot of times where I don't seek peace for people that I don't like or make me uncomfortable or I feel nervous around. There's a lot of times where I'm really excited about our country winning and not so concerned about our country seeking peace with the places where we're winning against. And Jesus says, if you want to be my children, be a peacemaker. James three sixteen to 18. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, that's me, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, then gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I read that list and I think, there's times I don't want to be gentle and merciful. There's times where I justify my envy, particularly around electronic equipment. There's times where I would rather be, well, as James says, sowing disorder. But that's not who I'm called to be as a Christian. In fact, 
Paul talks about in Romans 14. And he lays down this challenge. So then, let us pursue what prom- promotes peace and what builds one another. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and to not please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We are literally required to use our power to build each other up. That crazy person who spouts off whatever about masks and vaccines and whatever on Facebook, if you think they're weaker than you, you have the obligation as a Christian to build them up and strengthen them and encourage them. Not necessarily their argument, but them. That crazy person in your family who has betrayed you guys or broken your trust or hurt you. We have the calling, the blessing of seeking their best, praying for them, building them up. Any of you going, I get why the Jews were ticked at Jesus? (laughs) It's crazy, ridiculously hard. But the promise is that this is how God's children will be. This isn't a, like I said, it's not a how-to, like be a peacemaker and then you're a child of God. No, where you have given your life to Jesus, this is how it will play out. And there's all kinds of personal and corporate applications to this. I mean, as a church... So one of the things that I'm most proud of as our, of our church is the way we are seeking peace and shalom at Eastgate Elementary in Kennewick. I mean, we have resources. We have good communities. We have stable families. We have people that love Jesus. We have power. And then we have been using that to try and bring peace, wholeness, healing into the lives of kids over there that don't. I want to give a little example of this. There's a young man, when I started working here, I, uh, Gene Block is our, is our director over there. And I went over to, to see what the program was like, what was going on. And there was this young guy, I got a picture of him here, which, by the way, we have permission from him and his family to share this story and the photos, but we won't say his name. But this young guy, I met him, and he was in fifth grade. And in the gym where they were doing some activities, he had his little posse of followers, and he was really persnickety. He was just a complicated little fella. And he didn't want to do anything he was told, and he wanted to throw the balls at the girls, and he wanted to just be obnoxious. And actually that day, I saw him, and I was trying to get him to do something, and he was not having it. And I pulled him aside, and I said, man, 
I see that you're a leader. You got people following you. But make sure you lead them in the right place. And he, of course, went, whatever, and then ran off with the ball. Completely ignored me. I had no relationship with him. What does it matter what I say? <laughs> but somebody who did have a relationship was Jean. And I'd actually like to invite her to come up here and share briefly, well, somehow how that story has played out. Yeah, so this young man, um, he had, yeah, that persona of, I'm tough, I've got this, I don't need anybody to help me. And he and his cousin actually tried to do everything they could to get kicked out of After School Matters. <laughs> but what they didn't know was, that was not my agenda. That was, I mean, I could make it easy and just say, fine, leave, go home. But um, I sat and talked with them, and I told them, too, that I saw leadership. I saw all these different skills in them, but they had to make the choice if they were going to use that and go that way or not. Things got better. Things were going pretty well. It didn't stop there, though. That doesn't mean I walked away that, check, got that one done. <laughs> Uh, we built relationship with the family. They got to the point where they would reach out to us with concerns and prayer requests and just to share things. Well, jump ahead to last summer. This young man, once he made that choice to turn things around, doesn't mean everything was all roses and, and sunny side for him either. Some things happened. He was tempted, and he started sneaking out of the house in the middle of the night and making some really bad choices. His mom reached out to me. Well, the first thing we could do was pray. And we tried to find resources for them and so on. He's made the change again, and he's walked away from that. And he comes to ASM 2.0 on his own, which is a middle school group I started. And he's there because he wants to be there. Mm -hmm. He talks about becoming um, a mentor when he's in high school next year and coming back and helping other kids. Um, and I told him when he found out that I knew the whole story behind his sneaking out, he was embarrassed. And I said, listen, I love you right where you are. I didn't like what you were doing, but I love you and I care about you. And he realized that we're there to stand alongside of him. We see what he's doing, and he wasn't so embarrassed anymore, and he has a hug for me every time I see him. <laughs> what she didn't say is, after School Matters 2.0, the kids who graduated and went on to middle school wanted to still be doing after-school matters, but were too old. So they asked if she would put something together for them. And so these kids voluntarily, somewhere around 12 to 15 kids, some of them walked from other schools up to a mile, come and hang out to be encouraged, to be given a little bit of peace. And Angel's one of them. You see, we have an amazing opportunity to be peacemakers in our world. I mean, you can do it personally in your home. What would it look like if you looked at your spouse or your children or your grandchildren or annoying Uncle Harry with the eyes of peace? How do I build them up? How do I strengthen them? How do I love them? How about in our city and the world around us? Where are you working to build up and strengthen and bring God's kingdom to our city? 
I mean, if you want to volunteer at After School Matters, we have spots. Show up for a couple hours, one, two, three days a week, whatever. Um, it's not an instant fix. But over three years can provide a tremendous amount of difference. We've got mobile markets where we give out you know, food and supplies. In fact, I think we have a picture of volunteers down there doing that. Debbie is one of our more faithful ones and always photogenic. <laughs> but the need is huge. If you, and those are cars just lined up. You can also, and this I'm excited to announce this, we are going back to Ojo de Agua. Just this next picture. And we'll be taking an adult trip down there this June, around June... 15th through the 23rd. If you're interested in going and working for peace in the broader world, think about it. Um, there's ways that we can work together to bring peace to our world. If you're interested, there are the Connect booth right back here, um, or if you're online, you can go to the webpage. There's volunteer opportunities. There's ways that we as a community can do this together but I'd also challenge you. Work to bring peace to your world right where you're at. Be a peacemaker, a child of God. Um, with that, I'm going to invite Brian to come up because I am leaving this week to go do a little peacemaking, hopefully, in Africa, in Liberia and Togo. Um, one thing that we have done is we've sponsored 70 kids now at Saving Faith School and as a church. And um, I'll be going there to see them as well as a bunch of other things. Um, so, Ryan wanted to pray for that. I do. Lord, I thank you so much for Trevor. Uh, I just thank you for my friend. I thank you for his call to be a pastor here in this church. We thank you for your heart uh, for this world and that you direct us not just to one another. I thank you for the heart that you placed in Trevor for the children of your world. Thank you for his leadership uh, drawing our attention away from ourselves and as he prepares to go to Africa. Um, we ask that as he serves, that he might catch a glimpse of an even deeper call that you're placing upon our community to love, to be peacemakers, to bring shalom, Ask your blessings upon his experience, upon his work, um, that some special way that you might um, that you might bring peace into his heart in a new, unique manner, and that he might be an ambassador, uh, bringing that back from Africa to us, to draw us deeper to you. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Oh,